Listen, I am so excited about what the Lord is doing and what He's going to do. Well, uh, I guess a belated Merry Christmas to those that I haven't seen and to you that I've seen again. Merry Christmas again. And I guess looking forward to Happy New Year with all that the Lord's going to do in this new year. Some of y'all are really excited about this new year, I can tell. Some of you are just joyous and can't wait. I'm just hoping for it just to just not come for just a little bit. I'm, I'm hoping that it'll, it'll stave off a little bit with all the New Year things that are going on and uh, all the excitement. I, I, I was spending time with the Lord, and I just want you to know, I can't wait. I'm just going to give you this as a, as a disclaimer. Um, I can't wait. The Lord has given me the word for next year. He, he's already given me, if some of y'all know that I do this for the last seven years, I've been doing this, the word of the year. I just, like the Lord gives me a word to kind of uh, give us the whole scope for the year, and every year it's been spot on, just dead on exactly what's going to happen. So I'm spending time with the Lord, and the Lord's giving me all this stuff for next week. And I'm like, Lord, I want to show it now. I want to give it away now. I want to put it out there now. And he's like, no, not now. You just got to wait. So if I have to wait, you have to wait. So sorry about that, but it'll be a blast. And so with the new year coming out, people are looking forward to something better. And the problem of always looking forward to something better and we're looking forward to all this other stuff is it's just really trying to, to find it. And so um, if it's all right with you, I want to look back to my greatest theologian ever. I've showed some of y'all this. Katie, you remember some of this stuff. But uh, I want to show you the greatest theologian that I've ever met. Well, I haven't met him, but I listened to him. And so let's just see what he says about moms and trying to find that. So Brandy, how about show that for us if you don't mind? You'll get to see my theologian, my hero. I thought y'all might like that. So don't ever yell back in the middle of the sermon to go sit on the pot, please. I'm kidding. Some of y'all will. See, I just gave you a license to do it. So now instead of amen, you're going to say go sit on the pot. The problem with that is that's true in my family. I just want y'all to know that. That's true. When something's ever bad, go sit on the pot. So as you're going to look to all that stuff for the new year and what we're doing, I want to just kind of give you something a little bit as we wrap up the series going through December about it is a wonderful life. 
And I told you some wonderful, you know, one of the things that I used as a backdrop, as a forerunner for this sermon series is my favorite Christmas movie, It's a Wonderful Life. I just, I just love it. I'm addicted to it. I can watch it over and over and over. And so thinking about that, is it wonderful being a believer? Is it really wonderful? And so we start in Luke chapter 1 with this movement of God invading this dead space of 400 years of silence. And God moves in and he speaks to Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, and he speaks to him as he's worshiping, as he's praying at the time of prayer. And then all of a sudden, we get to see Mary getting a word from the angel, Gabriel. Then it goes back to Elizabeth and back to Mary and Elizabeth. And then we move into the birth of Jesus. And it's just pretty simple. We have, I love what Warren Wiersbe said, we have this advent or the coming of Christ and this announcement in Luke chapter 2 where we get this coming. And then we don't just have an advent, we have this um, adoration, if you will. Then all of it goes to this big amount of praise as we look to the angels that are coming and there's this, there's this big party that explodes in heaven and it carries over into the earth. And then we move into something interesting, a, a passage you've probably heard before, but I want to look at it. Luke chapter 2. Let's turn if you have this uh, on your phone or iPad or, or Bible. And it's all online, by the way, summitcharleston.com, Facebook, uh, Summit Church. You can see this Luke chapter 2. And so in Luke chapter 1, we start at the temple around the presence of God. And in Luke chapter 2, we end at the temple around the presence of God. And then we're going to see the presence of God really spread, obviously, in Christ as he goes. So Luke chapter 2, verse 22, I want to start there and read. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, chapter 2, verse 22, Joseph and Mary took him, that is Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord. Now, that's three times he's made reference to the Pentateuch, a pair of doves, or two young pigeons. And we know that Joseph and Mary were broke because they end up offering these two young pigeons. So if people say that Jesus had money, uh, he didn't. All right, here we go. Verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed by, excuse me, to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, and then here's another uh, adoration, if you will, an exaltation of Jesus. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel 
and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Now we know as we see that, especially at the cross. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would make this clear. You have blessed us with the wonderful life because of the gospel of Jesus, because your presence moved into our lives, and you don't want us to ever be the same. You don't want us to stay where we are. You don't want us to stay right what we're doing because you are moving forward, and this movement of the gospel is going everywhere throughout the world, Lord, and you're redeeming people behind closed curtains, behind persecution, behind the midst of families huddling together, uh, scared for their lives. You are redeeming people, and we give you glory. So, Lord, I'm praying that you will make this very clear. Forgive me my sins. Let your Holy Spirit please move in a powerful way, Lord, according to your word in Luke 11, 13, so that you will be glorified, the saints will be edified, and Satan horrified. And all God's people said, what? Amen. I'm glad you say amen and not go sit on the pot. All right, so the idea behind this is the main idea is it's a wonderful life because the Holy Spirit always leads us to Jesus. Now, I'm setting you up, I want you to know, I'm setting you up, Lord willing, for next week. Because next week, I mean, this is burning in me to give you this word for next year that I believe the Lord has for the whole year and has always played out. But this is a great setup for that because, remember, it's a wonderful life because obeying, this is the main idea, obeying the Holy Spirit always leads us to Jesus. If you look at verse 25, if you see there, it says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. Look at verse 27. Moved by the what, saints? Spirit. In other words, when you're moved by the Spirit, the Spirit always encounters you with Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit always moves you into the gospel. Always. When people are running from the Lord, they're not walking in step with the Spirit. Remember, Christianity is not just a certificate that says we are going to heaven and we're always going to be with God and we're not going to hell. That's not what Christianity is. Christianity is a relationship with God. That is a movement that as God speaks and as we see God at work, as Henry Blackaby would say, it's his invitation for us to join him. Christianity is not ritualistic. It's not where you come and light a votive candle. It's not where you come and say certain prayers. It's not a place that you come to. Christianity is where the God of the universe, the gospels where the God of the universe invades our lives, takes residence in our spirit that was dead, and now we can hear the gospel of Jesus. We can hear God saying stuff. And I know people say, John, how do you hear God? People don't hear God audibly. People don't hear those things. Let me tell you something. You don't hear the presence of Jesus as much as you feel the presence of Jesus. Now, I'm not trying to go with feelings. Don't paint me in a corner. But what I am saying is you will sense the very presence of God. 
It's a wonderful life because the Holy Spirit, obeying the Holy Spirit, always leads us to Jesus. So what, is the, what are these examples of obeying the Holy Spirit? What does it look like? Why, what's the example of this wonderful life? Well, let's check it out. First example of it's a wonderful life, obeying the Holy Spirit always brings redemption. Obeying the Holy Spirit always brings redemption. And I owe Warren Wiersbe this idea, but really it's based on that last verse. If you go down to verse 38, it says, Coming up to them, that's Anna, came up to them. At that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Obeying Obeying the Holy Spirit always brings about redemption. So what is this idea of redemption? We, we got to spend time with that. The idea of that is that we have been redeemed. That is, we've been bought with a price for something that we couldn't do. Look back at verse 22. Let me just break it down so you'll get to see this. The Holy Spirit moved. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Now, there are two purification rites. Number one is this. When, when a woman gives birth in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, on the eighth day, they would take the male child and they would have him circumcised. On the eighth day, because seven days she was unclean. For seven days she's unclean, and then on the eighth day, they would take and be circumcised. So here's Mary and Joseph obeying the very law of the Lord. And also, after the birth, the woman was unclean for, for a male for 33 days. Uh, in other words, it gave, it gave the woman, think about how God, how generous God is. He gives the woman time to heal before they make the journey to present him to the Lord. Now, you're saying, why do they have to do that? Why do they have to present the first male? Well, it goes all the way back into Exodus when what did God do? What was the last plague that God brought on Egypt? You tell me. Yes, the death of what? Firstborn. So God is saying, look, all the firstborn, whether cattle, belong to me. They, they belong to, that's what God's saying. They belong to me, so you're redeeming this person. So what's interesting, here's what Jesus did. His family takes him, and they obey the law. Let me put it this way. Galatians chapter 4. You can keep your finger in your Bible. Go to Galatians 4, because I want you to make notes on your phone or something like that. It's going to be up here, but I want you to make notes. I want you to see, this is, this is why it's so awesome. When you obey the Holy Spirit, when you obey the Holy Spirit, He always leads us to redemption. Check this out. Galatians 4, verse 3. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. He, he's, trying to, he's trying to say that when we, we were young, we didn't know it, uh, the law, we didn't understand this that we were enslaved by sin. That's what he's talking about here. But when the time had fully come, and I love Galatians 4.4, but when the time had fully come, notice the providence of God. Notice the sovereignty of God. When the time had fully come, look what happens. God sent his what? I didn't hear you. His what? Come on, we're going to get loose today. His son, born of a woman, born under the what, saints? The law. Jesus was born under the law. Now, what that means is, is he was bound by the law. The law says that you and I have sinned, right? The law says that we've, what's the first, what's the first commandment? Well, let me ask you this. What's the first commandment of the Ten Commandments? Right, right. You have no other gods before. They have no other gods. 
right? Don't make an idol. Don't do any of that. Have no other gods. It's the first commandment. I would dare say, my guess is, is that everybody in this room has, has broken that. Would you agree with me, yes or no? Okay, three of you say yes. I, I've, I've, I think I've made an idol out of me. I've made an idol out of sports. I've made an idol out of grades. I, made an, I, I mean, all this other stuff. I, I remember when I was young, you know, my, my father was a very driven man. You've got to understand something. World War II, very driven. We don't show emotion. We don't say, I love you, and you don't say you love me. We're a happy family. Great big hug and kiss from me to you. Won't you say you love me too? Bye, Barney. And so, nobody watched Barney? You're in sin. I mean, Barney's a strange character anyway. So, we didn't do, we didn't do, we, we didn't express those things. It, that's not the man's way of expressing. Now, that was the, the small little microcosm culture that I grew up in. And so we didn't express those things. And the reason why we didn't express those things was because that was what we, we just didn't do that way. We didn't do those things. But let me tell you something. So what happened was, well, I, I would go to make grades. My twin sister and I, my twin sister, she made great grades. Right? I, she would make a 98. I'd bring home a 94 when I was five. And then I got kicked out of my first class when I was five. I got kicked out of kindergarten. Do not judge me right here. I love y'all. You're in sin. You're judging me. And so I got, don't judge me over here. I got kicked out. I had problems. And so, you know, at five, boom, done. Get out of class. You know you're bad when you get kicked out of kindergarten because you can get away with anything in kindergarten pretty much, right? I mean, if you can color, you're good. Just don't eat the crayons. It gets bad. And so what happens is I figured out at an early age that if I made a 94, my dad would say, well, why don't you make a 99? Why don't you make a 100? So it was, never, it was never good enough. So what I did is I said, okay, I got this game. I went the opposite way. Are y'all tracking me? So my twin sister said, oh, I made a 98. I'll try and make a 99. I said, I ain't making no 99. I'm going to make a 9. Right? So where she buckled down and studied hard, I said, bag it. I can't get there. I'm not going to be able, since it's never going to be good enough, and I, so I can't be good enough, let me just show you how bad I can be. And so what I did is, we always went to worship, corporate worship. You know, my parents put, made me go to youth. They made me go to children's stuff. They made me go to all this stuff. And I was no more saved than anybody. I mean, I was bad. I would sit there and bully people. This is how bad I was. I would sit in a row like you're sitting in, and I was sitting with the youths. I remember, and the youth would look at me, and I would look over them. I said, take your eyes off me. And I would intimidate, and I would bully them. This is true. I know you're going, John, you are. That's how much sin I was in. I mean, that's just where I was because I said, if I can't be good, if I can't be really good at being good, I'm going to be really good at being, I'm going to be really good at being bad. I was going to be good at something, because I was driven. And so I made an idol out of anything and everything that could give me um, satisfaction, if you will. So that became my idol. So yes, I have broken, I, I've broken the law. Every one of us has broken the law. If you think about it, and we just go down through the commandments, every one of us has broken something. How many times have we dishonored our parents? I mean, let's just take that one for example. Praise God for the grace of God that you and I don't live under the, the, the Ten Commandments because Jesus fulfilled it. Because think about the Bible's promise. If you don't honor your parents, what, how, what happens to the length of your life? It's short. Praise God by the grace of God that we don't live under that. 
My life would have been very short. My dad probably wanted to kill me many times, but, but God stopped him. Hallelujah. You know, right? I mean, I deserved it, but he, it stopped him. So I'm broken under this law. So I'm born under the law. We're born under this law. But look at verse 5. So here's what Jesus does. He comes under the same law that you and I have. Don't have any idols. Don't commit adultery. Don't, I mean, this, this community of living. Loving God first more than anything else. Like, I can't even, I'm struggling to get that. And then in verse 5, he says this. To redeem those, what's the next two words, saints? Under law. To redeem those under law. That we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba, Aramaic word meaning daddy, or father, right? Because any, almost all men can be a father, but not everybody can be a daddy. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. So here's what Jesus did. Jesus comes under the law, so we don't have to, we don't have to be chained and bound by the law. We've been set free from the law, so we don't have the judgment of the law over us. God's not sitting there going, in your life, he's going, oh, you dishonored your parents, strike one. Oh, you made an adultery, uh, strike two. Oh, you, you, um, you, you, you stole this, uh, strike uh, three. Oh, uh, you coveted what your neighbor had. You wanted to be, look like her, or look like him, or have what he had, or had his athletic ability, or their money. Oh, strike four. And God doesn't do that. That's not God sitting there with us as believers. Jesus is the one who paid that price, so we don't have to do that. That's the power of the gospel. Jesus did what we could not do, which was fulfill the law. That's what he did. And so you and I today, we're sitting under this anointing of the Lord. In other words, that's why the word Jesus means, as one words people say, Jehovah is salvation. So every time we say Jesus, we're saying that Jehovah is salvation. We've been redeemed. We've been redeemed. We've been bought back, brought, uh, brought back by the blood of the Lamb. So that's the power. So uh, people are looking and waiting for the Redeemer. If you go back and look at this passage, it's very interesting to me because he says this in verse uh, 25. Now there was a man, this is Luke chapter 2, verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Here is what happens. When you follow the Spirit of God, you are always looking to Jesus for redemption. Isn't that beautiful? That he can redeem marriages, he can redeem uh, jobs, he can redeem finances, he can redeem friendships, he can redeem even our identity. He can redeem all that when we look to Jesus. So the Holy Spirit drives us to look to the redemption of Israel, which is Jesus. And that's the promise that we have. It's this redemptive intervention that God jumps in in our lives. And so we've been set free by so many things. And so as believers, I want to encourage you today that this is what's beautiful. It's a wonderful life because obeying the Holy Spirit means we're always looking for redemption. And he brings redemption in our life. Here's the second example. The second example of, it, uh, of It's a Wonderful Life is obeying the Holy Spirit brings external confirmation. Obeying the Holy Spirit brings external confirmation. Now let me break this down for you. Here's what happens. Obviously Mary got a word from the angel. Joseph got a word from the angel. You're going to call him Jesus. And he's going to save everyone. He's going to save them from their sins. So you're going to go ahead and, and 
and go ahead and follow through with the marriage covenant to marry. So in other words, go ahead and do that. So then there's this external confirmation. They go to the temple, which is supposed to house the presence of God. And here's this devout man, Simeon. And he comes in and he sees Jesus and he goes, God, you can take me home now. You can take me home. You, you told me I was going to see the, the redemption of Israel. You told me I was going to get to see Jesus. And now I'm going to see him. And he takes Jesus right in his arms. What does he do there? It's awesome. Verse 28. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God saying, can you imagine Joseph and Mary going, what? I just let my, my little baby, baby Jesus, holding in this older gentleman's arms and he's holding up baby Jesus and he begins in the, in the temple courts, he begins to say this. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. Verse 30. For my eyes have seen your salvation. 31 which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory, I love this, of your people Israel. He, all of a sudden, there's this external confirmation that yes, Jesus is who the angel said he would be. It's who exactly, exactly who he said he'd be. There's this external confirmation, and I love this part right here, just as a side note in verse 32, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. I, I don't have any Jewish heritage, so that means I'm a Gentile. And I love it that Jesus was not just limited to the Jews. He was for the whole world. For anybody in any situation, which drives us to take the gospel to the whole world. So here's the beauty behind this. So now he says external confirmation. So one layer of this external confirmation is you get a witness. Like there's an external, when you know the Holy Spirit, when you obey the Holy Spirit, when you obey the Holy Spirit, there's always external confirmation. Always, always, always. So if God is at telling you to do something, it, you're not going to get the external confirmation. Before you do it, it's when you step out. Now, how many of us are ever afraid to step out? Uh, good, five, seven, ten. All right, that's, what it, that's called faith. It's stepping out when God's calling us. He speaks to our heart. We seem at work there, but our flesh goes, no, I'm not stepping out. I'm not going to ask her out. I'm not stepping in this job. I'm not stepping in this marriage. I'm not stepping. But all of a sudden, the, the Holy Spirit is just wearing the flesh down like water over a rock. And finally, you just say, I've got to do this. And you step out and do it. And then all of a sudden, here comes the external confirmation of God. This is what's so beautiful to me. So one layer of external confirmation is you always get a witness. Now, I know some of us are thinking this. But John, I'm in some places where there are no human witnesses. Like, I'm in a job where there's nobody, or I'm in a suite where there's nobody standing up for Christ. I'm in a place where there's, you know, there's, there's nothing. Here's what I want to give you. That, as soon as the Holy Spirit was giving me that, the Holy Spirit took me right to Jeremiah 20. So check this out. It'll be up here. Jeremiah chapter 20. Jeremiah is one of the greatest prophets. He's prophesying to, to Judah. Judah's the last tribe of Israel that was a nation. The last one standing. Last person standing. And here comes Babylon, and they are bearing down, bearing down, and, and they're going to get ready to take all of is Judah, that small part of Israel, into exile. And Jeremiah sent as a prophet to tell the king of Judah, hey, listen, submit, submit, and give in, because God is done with you. God is done with this place, submit, and people are hammering him. I mean, they hammer him so bad. In fact, when he's, when he's preaching, they said, okay, here's what we're going to do. At the beginning of it, they're going to throw him in, in jail, and then they put him in these stocks 
like this, and then they let him out of the stocks. Sometimes they put him in a cistern, a deep well, and wouldn't give him any food. He thought he was going to die. And when the eunuchs would sneak him food, I mean, it was bad for this guy. So you're saying, but John, where's the external confirmation? Check this out. Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 7. I love this. Probably has ministered to me as in pastoring uh, more than I could ever imagine. Verse 7. Listen to what he says to God. I, I don't have the courage to say this. This is what he says. You... What, saints? Is that not a big statement to God? I'll put it in John's turn. You lied to me! Ever thought that way? Thought abandoned by God? Ever thought like... I mean, think about it. This is one of the greatest prophets in Israel. Jeremiah says to God, this is bold to me, you deceive me, Lord, and I was deceived. And he's in a place of brokenness. You overpowered me and prevailed. I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. I want to say this to you. If you stand up for Jesus, you will be mocked. Right? How can I qualify? Jesus said, in this world you will have what, saints? That you're going to be mocked by your family, so you might as well go, but I thought my family loved me. Listen, no, they love them. People love people like them. People don't love Jesus. Only the Spirit of God can open someone's heart to see Jesus. So you're going to feel deceived. You're going to feel like, God, where are you? Why are you leaving me all alone? I mean, Jeremiah just got out of the stocks. Remember the old stocks that they put you? He just got out. Stocks. He had just gotten out of the gym before that. And this is what happens. He says, whenever I speak, I cry out proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word, uh, the word of the Lord has brought me, I love this, the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. So the word of the Lord has brought me re insult and reproach all day long. Sometimes I feel like that. God, the more I stand up for you, you ever felt that way? God, the more I try to live right, uh, the more I try to really just do the right thing that would be right by you, then I feel this way. I mean, Jeremiah just kind of speaks to my soul. The word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But if I say, and say I've been there, but if I say I will not mention his word or speak his name anymore, in other words, John's version, if I just say, God, I'm going to shut up, I'm not going to talk about you anymore, I'm just not, I'm going to sit here, I'm going to do my job, or I'm going to just be in my family, or whatever it might be, I'm just going to do this, I'm not going to speak about you. Here's what happens. If I do this, verse 9, but if I say I will not mention his word or speak anymore in his name, his word is in my heart, like a what, saints? Like a fire. A fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt that way that if you don't stand up and say something that you are just wrong, like you have to stand up and say something, or you have to pull over and help that person, or you have to say that's enough, or you have to stand up in your family and say, no, this isn't right. I want to tell you, I've been to the point, you know, following God sometimes is very difficult, but, you, but you're saying, John, if I follow God, there's always going to be this external witness. And I said yes and amen. I'm giving you an example of Simeon and Anna, external witnesses of what the obedience of Mary and Joseph. 
by doing what God told him to do, come, bringing Jesus there to be circumcised, bringing Mary there for purification rites, bringing her, obeying the very law, there's an external confirmation because the Holy Spirit was moving in them, the Holy Spirit was moving in Simeon and Anna, and boom, they collide together. But John, sometimes what happens, where's the external witness when I'm all alone? Here's the external witness when you're alone. The Holy Spirit. If people won't let the Holy Spirit rule them, the Holy Spirit will just show up on his own. Because I want you to know God can't be stopped. Nothing can thwart the Word of God, and God's Word cannot be, cannot be chained, the Bible says. God's Word, the Holy Spirit will get, begin to speak to you so strong that you can't stay in, in where you are and continue to do it. It's a fire shut up in my, in my bones. And what happens to me is this. So the very moment that I want to step back and say, God, it's, this burden is just a little bit too much. This burden is too great for me to carry. You've called me to this job or this place or the minister or this person or that. And I'm just tired. And, and when I take a step back, what happens? The more time I spend with God, the more he burns inside of me. And I have to do something. And here's what I want to say to you. If the, if the Holy Spirit of God is not burning inside you, it's not because he can't. It's because you won't let it. How can I back it up? 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says this. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. The Spirit of God will burn in us. Burn in us mightily. So notice the external confirmation. Didn't happen until Joseph and Mary obeyed God's word. Some people might say, but John, I don't know. I don't know what to do next. So maybe you're in this position. I know God's speaking, but I don't know what to do next. Well, here's what I want you to do. If you don't know what to do next, here's what I love. I'm not sure that Mary and Joseph knew what to do next. Maybe you're in a relationship, you don't know what to do as next. Maybe you're looking for a career, you don't know what to do as next. Or you've been serving, ministering somebody. Or maybe you're just living in such a, a difficult situation at your job. Like your flesh says, get out, but the Spirit of God says, stay, and you don't want to do next. I want to give you a word from God today. Just obey God. Just obey the Word of God. That's all they did. They obeyed the Word of God. The first five books of the Old Testament, they just obeyed and did they didn't know what to do next. They just did exactly what the law said to do. They just did. They just obeyed the Word of God. So you take the Word of God out and just do what it says. Just do what it says. The very, you say, but John, it doesn't say specifically, should I marry this person or not? Should I marry? Well, it does. Like, for example, if you're looking at this woman and you're saying, should I marry her? It's very simple. If you obey the Word of God, if she's a Proverbs 31 woman, what are you waiting on? Okay, I'll go to this side. Men got real quiet in the room. You got scared because you started thinking about rings and finances. That's where you just go, God, if you told me to do it, you own the cat on a thousand hills. He'll get it done. Listen, it's okay. Everybody else in this room started out poor. You're going to be poor too. Just get over it. It's going to be all right. Well, what will happen? Listen, you can't be stealing tomorrow's grace and bringing it in today. The Bible says don't worry about tomorrow if it has enough troubles of its own. So a piper said, don't be stealing God's grace tomorrow. What's going to happen next week? What's going to happen next month? You're, listen, you're putting that grace and trying to bring it into today. Just follow God's word. Just do it. It's going to be okay. Just do what he said do. You said, but John, that's a Sunday school answer. That's a real Sunday school answer. Uh, let's look at it a little further. The, the Bible says, I mean, think about this. Should I take this job? Should I move? Should I stay here? Stay here? Should I date her? And I believe all these answers are in the Bible. 
and it's called principles. In other words, this, like taking a job. Let me ask you this. Well, what brings the most glory to the Lord? What brings the very driven part of the Spirit of God within you that even though you're falling apart in your flesh with no peace, the peace of the Holy Spirit is overriding you and saying, you've got to do it. I, I told y'all this when I became the campus minister at Charleston Southern the very day that I was supposed to show up. I did not show up. Kevin knows that. Some of these people in this room, did you know that? I, I, I called the guy who's over me, my boss, and said, I don't know if I'm supposed to take this job. You know what he did? He didn't even go flesh on me. I was wanting him to go flesh. I was wanting it out. I was wanting him to say, you know what? You're right. Just don't even come in. We're going to move on. I said, that's what I was, I was like, here's my fleece. Y'all know what I'm talking about with Gideon in the Old Testament? I threw my fleece out. I said, all right, God, here's my fleece. You know what he did? He went scripture. Who does he think he is? Loser. You can't be bringing God in because when you bring God in, you win. We have rules in my house about this. When we argue, don't bring in God. Because I'll go, Lynette, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to. I don't care. I don't care what you say. I don't care what Lauren says or Jay. I don't care. I don't care what baby says. I ain't going to do it. And she goes, well, what does God say? Be quiet. I ain't talking to God. I'm talking to you. And you know what happens? She wins. Because she's always bringing God in. So I didn't want to come. And he brought God in. You know what he said to me? He brought out, he didn't give me a, an answer from God. He gave me a principle from God and God's word. What did he say do? He said, stay home and fast. Look at me. Do I like fasting? I mean, what was he thinking? He must have had his quiet time that day. What is going on? That's not the answer. The answer was, I'm, I just, I can't do it. I, I, I just, I, I can't do this. I don't know if I want, I don't have an answer from God. I'm really not sure. I just know that, that, that can't, being campus minister and pastoring or just pastoring summit, they're all good things in God's economy and God's kingdom. They're all good. So which one's the right one? Which one's the right one? I don't know. I don't know. If I see three stoplights and they're all red, then I'm going to not go, you know, or something. And you make up some crazy thing. The answer is, is just go back to that. And that's exactly what I did. I just, I just did a scriptural principle. And then God spoke in my heart. And it wasn't even that clear. All I knew is if I didn't do it, I would regret it. That's all I got from God. That's it. So you know what I did? I did it. And I thank God I did. Because I would have missed out on so much. So here's the idea. The second example is one of life. Obeying God's word. I love this. Obeying God, obeying the Holy Spirit brings external confirmation. The last thing is this, and I'm going to try and land this plane with this. Uh, Caitlin, if you'll come up and play behind me. The last example is this. The third example of it's a wonderful life is obeying the Holy Spirit puts us in the right place at the right time. I want to give you something from the Lord today. And, and, I, and I think it was Warren Wiersbe who... When I read that, it jumped off the page, and it's exactly right about this passage. 
When you obey the Holy Spirit, he puts you in the right place at the right time. Look back in Luke chapter 2. What did Simeon and Anna do? And let's just land it. Let's just, let's just listen to the voice of the Lord today. What did they do? They were in the right place at the right time because they were walking with the Holy Spirit. Right? Isn't that the gospel? Isn't that the very presence of Jesus on the earth inside of us? Isn't he the one, right? Because, right, Jesus came, he died in our place, so when we physically die, we don't have this eternal separation from God. That we get to go into his presence because God, this flesh has to die because of sin. But our spirit is not dead forever. And so all of a sudden, because of Jesus' death, and his blood that gives us righteousness. So we're not now under the law because Jesus fulfilled the law. So God is not looking at you going, how many times did you sin in your mind today? How many times did you do this? No, in fact, when God brings those sins to our minds, it's so we can have freedom from those sins, not be held captive by them. Oh, that was good. And you know it. And so all of a sudden now we get, we, we get the Holy Spirit inside of us. I mean, he did all this for free and... and now we can't keep our salvation only he's the one who keeps it so we're secure in it we don't have to like just try and hold it in he does it so now the holy spirit's inside of us and we can live he puts us in the right place at the right time and look what they did i want to spend one time just a little bit with with anna verse 36 there was also a prophet anna the daughter of penuel the tribe of Asher, that's the tribe in the northern part. She was very old. How many years did she wait on the Lord? She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. So after seven years, he dies. And then she was a widow until she was 84. All right, let's just, let's just make up something. Let's say she got married at 16, which is normal, which is normal in that time, because think about it ladies, think about it. When, when they gave birth, it wasn't like they had, you know, the doctors and the medical things that we had today. So, you know, there was a mortality rate that was pretty high in the, in the children, the babies, and even the mothers. Infection would send in all kinds of stuff. So that would happen during that time. They didn't follow our culture like, like we do today. And it doesn't make theirs wrong and ours right or ours right and theirs wrong. That, that's just, that was the culture. I don't want to speak against anything that the Lord was doing. What I, what I want to say is this, that let's say that that happened when she was 16. So she was married from 16 to, give her seven years, what does that make her? Okay, math, 23, right? That's good. We're, we're moving right along here. All right, so the Bible says at this point in time that when we see this, that how old was she? She was how old? 84. So at 84, she's in the temple because she doesn't leave. And at 84, she sees Jesus. So if you take 84 and you minus 21, I know we're getting a little thick here. I know it's heavy math. What's the years? I gave you easy math. 80, nobody even wants to yell it out because nobody wants to be wrong. 84, Right? Minus 23 is, I don't want to try to mess me up, 61. Woo, we got it together. So now, 
For over 60 years, 60 years she has waited to see Jesus. Because when you obey the Holy Spirit, it puts you at the right place at the right time. Some of you are saying, will I ever meet the right person? I want you to give you a word from God today. Obey the Holy Spirit. Some of you are saying, but what about the right job? Obey the Holy Spirit. Some of you are saying, but what about when I should retire, when I should do this, or when I should do that? Obey the Holy Spirit. You say, but John, I've been obeying the Holy Spirit, and it hadn't happened yet. Well, guess what? You haven't been waiting 61 years. But John, what about, I want to get here at this job. I want to get here. And how is being here and staying right here with God going to get me here? All I know is this, that God could give back the years the locust stole. God can do something on a dime and change everything. And so I want to just kind of land it with this. I want to land this. What did this lady do? This is what blows me away in verse 20, excuse me, 37. And then she was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. She was doing what? She was worshiping God night and day. And what were the two things she was doing? What was she doing, saints? Fasting and praying. Listen to what this one scholar, Joel Green, says. Fasting is a place, excuse me, fasting is of special significance. Precisely because it is a deliberate departure from the cultural norms. Okay, let me break it. That was fancy. It's a de- when you worship God, it is a deliberate departure from the cultural norms. When you try to have a marriage that's for like Jesus, or when you try to be a friend in Jesus, or when you try to obey Jesus, it's departing from the cultural norms. It's a, he said this, and I love this. Fasting is a form of protest. Whew. Fasting is a form of protest, an assertion that all is not well. Fasting is a form of protest, an assertion that all is not well. Anna's abstinence is an expression of her hope, a form of prayer entreating God to set things right. And so today, I would like to just ask us to do something. I would like us to just kind of seek the Lord in this. I just want to just say to the Lord this for us. Where is God, or what is God asking us to do? How can we obey the Lord today? Just one simple question. How can we obey the Lord today? How can we obey the Spirit? What is He saying to us? I mean, that's a simple question, but maybe a a very difficult answer. What can obeying the Holy Spirit do? I mean, think about what He does. He brings redemption, He brings external confirmation, and He puts us in the right place at the right time. If you want to be in the right place at the right time, obey the Holy Spirit. I guarantee you that if you took a poll of the people in this room that have been married, all right? Now, married people, I'm going someplace, all right? So don't, don't shout me down. But I'm, I, I guarantee you that if you took a poll of the married people in this room today, they will tell you that it is worth to follow Jesus, to put you at the right place at the right time to meet the right person. They'll tell you that. Whether they've experienced that or not, they'll tell you that. Because God will do something mighty. If you're waiting for that job, if you're waiting for that, whatever it might be, just obey the Spirit. And when you don't know what to do, when you say, I don't know what the Spirit's saying, just obey this. 
Just obey the principles. All you've got to do. And God will do something mighty. So here's what I want to do today. I would like for us to pray. And I would like for you to pray. Maybe you want to come and you want to pray. We, this is, I feel like, our holiest moment. You just want to say, God, look, I'm not sure what you're saying, but I just want to obey. And as an act of obedience, I just want to come and get before you and say, I'll obey. There's a gentleman who works here. I close with this. His name is Tim. And Tim is a, uh, works in security. And he's a youth pastor in his father's church. He's a fourth-generation pastor. His father is in his 70s. He's a great man. They adopted a, a baby boy, three months old. The little boy got so sick that a week and a half ago, they didn't know if the little boy was going to live. So the little boy, it was in MUSC and ICU in the children's hospital. So I'm talking, I emailed Tim, and Tim calls me and says, John, you don't know? I said, Tim, I don't know what you're talking about. What do you mean I don't know? He said, he said my son is in the hospital, and he's in bad shape. I said, Tim, I'm coming. So that next morning, I go down to the hospital, and for two and a half hours, almost three hours, I am with him in that ICU room. I'm sitting there. I'm watching all these children. If you've been down there, you know what I'm talking about. For the nurses and doctors that are in there and the people that help, I praise God for y'all. Y'all have way more courage than me. Trust me, I don't say that lightly. I'm saying that truthfully. I'm not, I, I have to honor the Lord up here. Listen, I mean, I respect you tremendously. So we go in the ICU room, and he is so sick with this virus and bacterial infection, he can't breathe. Like he's, I'm watching, they didn't intubate him with a tube, even though they put a feeding tube in it, he couldn't breathe. He, I mean, he, his, his little heartbeat was 160-some beats a minute. Think about it. What's your resting heart rate? Okay, imagine it being 160 beats for 24 hours a day. That's like you and I on a treadmill at eight or nine miles an hour, nonstop, fighting. And I walk in there and I look around and I, and I see all these little kids. I mean, they're just little kids from like two, three, year and a half, and they're, they're all in bad shape. Most of them are intubated, feeding tubes, fighting for their lives. Everybody in there has the look of they're scared of death, everybody. And I said, Tim, and so we're over there with the... The, the, with his little son and, and you know the bed is like a little crib and he's just fighting and he's fighting and he's fighting and he's fighting for his life and I looked at Tim and he didn't he wasn't bawling or anything I said Tim and he's an awesome man of God so I'm thinking well he's just walking strong with the Lord I said Tim uh, are you okay and he said John you know what gets me and I'm waiting for it I'm waiting because I'm, I'm listening to the respiratory therapist behind they're debating whether they're going to intubate him or not and all this stuff because he's He's been struggling for the last two or three days, just nonstop breathing. Just kept fighting, 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 so sick. Not even opening his eyes, but maybe five minutes a day. And I'm just, I'm broken. I'm looking at him. He said, you know what, you know what gets me? And I'm, I'm there. I'm, I'm ready to catch the football. I'm like, okay, Tim, tell me. He goes, you see those two kids? And I, I mean, there's, there's, when you're in, y'all know what I'm talking about, I see you. There's not like tried at a hospital where there's like glass walls or separating and stuff like that. There's. I mean, they might have a curtain, but most of the curtains were open. And so it's like we're in a room, and there are all these beds are right here, and I'm just standing in the middle of all these kids in the beds. And you know what he said to me? He said, you know what gets me? He said, I've been in this hospital 
for day after day after day after day after day, and no one has come to see these children. Nobody. I mean, it was like somebody hit me right there. I said, Tim, what did you just say? He said, no one, has, since I've been in here to see my son, no one has come to see these children, not one person. And he slept in the hospital. He worked from the hospital. CSU let him. He worked from the hospital day after day. He would not leave. My heart was devastated. Because somebody was not willing to obey the Holy Spirit. But you have a chance today to obey the Holy Spirit. And maybe God calls you to do something for them. Maybe God calls you to do something for somebody else. But today you have a chance to obey what God is asking you to do. God is not going to leave you in a place of brokenness. He's going to bring you to a place of redemption. And it's up to you to obey. Would you pray with me? Father, that is our prayer today. That we would obey what the Holy Spirit is saying. And what you usually ask us, our flesh screams against. What you usually say to us, Lord, um, puts immediate fear in our heart. I mean, even Mary, you said, fear not. Even to the shepherds, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all peoples. I mean, usually when you speak, there's this, in our flesh, there's an immediate fear. And so, Lord, sometimes you're asking us today to do something that our flesh will scream against. But it's better to obey than to offer sacrifice. So, Lord, what are you asking us today to do? and to obey you. And sometimes, Lord, we just need to come and pray and say, Lord, listen, I'm ready. I'm willing to do what you want, us to, want me to do, but I just need to hear from you. Or Lord, maybe I'm in a place where I don't really have enough strength and I need you to give me the strength to obey, to do what you're asking me to do. Or Lord, I just need some clarity to make sure you're asking me to do this. And I'm just going to spend some time in prayer up here and just, Lord, you, you show me what you want me to do. But today, Lord, let it be known exactly what you're asking us to do. We love you, Lord, and we look to the hope of all hope, Jesus, because we want to obey. Give us the courage, give us the strength, and if for someone in this room who does not know Jesus, if you're calling them to surrender their life to you, I pray they'll obey and say yes to you. You're worthy, Lord. You have not left us alone in a place to die. You have brought us to a place to give us life. That is my friend.